The following episode will be talking about sexual abuse to a child as well as child exploitation. Please listen at your own discretion. All throughout this season of Faded Out, there has been one major sticking point in Doreen Vincent's case that we have mentioned in every episode, but have never 100% fully devoted an entire episode to. One major red flag, and that is the underwear photos. Photos taken by Doreen's father, Mark Vincent, of Doreen as she posed in her underwear. These underwear photos are not conjecture. They are mentioned in the search and seizure warrant for Mark's gun arrest in 1989. It is also specified in that same warrant that indeed there was film in the camera that Mark was taking these photos with, meaning that you cannot spin it and say that no photos ever existed or that they were just pretending or just practicing to be a model or any other way that one could choose to twist it. The photos are also mentioned in the 2001 article from the Record Journal by Jason Barry. We refer back to that 2001 article a lot, but understand it's not as much for the content of the article as much as it is because of where that article sits in the timeline of this case being an open case. If you go back to the early episodes of this season, I spent a number of those episodes reading the early articles in the years following Doreen's disappearance. The first came out June 28, 1988, almost two weeks after the date that she was reported to have run away, and the next article came out the next day. And there were various little articles on Doreen up until 1995. Those early articles don't paint a huge picture. They don't talk about any alleged abuse. They don't speak of photos of any kind. They're mostly about how she was still missing after a year, and then after seven years, and so on. How direct mail cards showing her school picture would be sent out to thousands of households across Connecticut. And then in 2001, this big story by Jason Barry comes out in the Record Journal. It shares the first interviews with Doreen's aunts, Debbie and Carol, who at that time chose to remain anonymous as they talked about their sexual abuse at the hands of Mark Vincent. It talked about how they suspected Doreen could have been pregnant. And the article also talks about how by Mark's own admission, he took photos of Doreen as she posed in her underwear. In the timeline of events in this open case, that article in 2001 is where the newspaper coverage of Doreen Vincent's case stops cold. It seems to me that after that piece of information became public, that was the point when there was this noticeable secrecy surrounding the case. And as much as I despise using the phrase conspiracy of silence, what we see here is the definition of that phrase. So why is there this secrecy? And what do we know about these pictures that were taken of Doreen and these supposed modeling shoots that she would go on? Well, today I am here with you to talk about what we, the team at Faded Out, have learned about these underwear photos. This is season two, episode 25 of Faded Out. I'm Sarah Dimio. 
The first thing that I would like to talk about in this episode is what I just talked about in my intro and something that we touched on in the last two episodes of new listener questions. The articles that have come out on this case in relation to the timeline. The last known published article on Doreen's case, prior of course to this podcast existing, was the 2001 article. However, there is a lost article, so to speak, which was set to be published in 2014. The writer of this article is a man named Terry Sutton, who I have interviewed over the phone twice now. But I think the consensus was in the very beginning that they thought she was a runaway. She was unhappy being living with her father. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously the detective there at the time, uh, Hanley was his last name, uh, thought otherwise. And uh, I think they started realizing there were some inconsistencies in uh, one person's uh, testimony. You were a reporter at the time for, was it for the Record Journal? Is that the paper that you worked at? Well, I'm a freelancer. Oh, I, I see. I used to freelance at the Bristol Press, the uh, New Britain Herald, and the weekly papers there. So I'd write human interest stories and some uh, cold case paper, uh, articles. And then uh, I started, I've been writing for the last couple of years for the uh, Citizen newspapers and the Record Journal. And uh, uh, for the head editor, I was going to write an article on Doreen Vincent. And... Uh, we got some information there uh, from, uh, obviously, Lieutenant Han- Chief Henley, who's the Middlebury Police, Middlebury, Vermont, uh, Chief of Police there. And I actually contacted Hanley for another case that was related to, uh, it was related to uh, Middlebury, Vermont. It was a missing girl from, missing costume from Simsbury, and I was writing for the Simsbury Post. So I contacted him, and that's when I heard a little bit more about Doreen Vincent, and he talked about, you know, the... Uh, all the craziness in the Wallyford area with the, you know, some of the biker gang feuds there. and uh, But he talked about that, and he gave me some information that, you know, he shouldn't have, that I'm not really supposed to divulge. But when I mentioned that to my editor and the fact that uh, the uh, Wallyford Police Department has not publicly named anybody as a suspect, my editor's like, he's like, you know what, unless, they, unless the Wallyford PD really gives us some new information, it's just rehashing the same old story over and over again. So Wally for PDs, we kind of reluctant to say, to really give, to name somebody as a suspect. You can read Terry's full article on his website, and I encourage you to do so at savagewatch.com. You can search for the article titled, What Happened to Doreen? So what I find curious about this article being not published is that it doesn't reveal anything that had not already been revealed before. And you'll notice also, though I don't know if Terry has edited this article down since posting it on his website, but the article does not mention the underwear photos. There are, though, a lot of similarities to the 2001 article. For instance, it starts off by describing Detective Tom Hanley, who, as we know by now, became the investigator on Doreen's case in 1989 and then left the Wallingford PD in 1991 and became the chief of police up in Middlebury, Vermont. Hanley, as you just heard Terry say, was the main source for this article. It talks about how Hanley considers this case to be his one unsolved case, how he keeps Doreen's picture on his desk under the glass. And it's like, okay, well, we've heard this before, though. So why was this article in 2014 still not published? 
Well, as you just heard Terry say, Hanley revealed something to Terry that he should not have. And Terry Sutton, being the professional that he is, would not go into greater detail with me in this first conversation that we had before we had done anything else for this season on this case. This is before we even met Donna and the rest of the family. There are some things in the article that jump out at you when you read it, and I just want to direct your attention to just a few lines, the first of which being, quote, Hanley felt that Mark Vincent's story had inconsistencies and lies in it. Hanley was also troubled with Mark Vincent's lack of caring that his daughter was missing, end quote. And then in the next paragraph down, the first line is, quote, further investigation by police revealed that they thought it was an unusual father-daughter relationship, end quote. And you've heard me talk about this plenty of times on this podcast, about how Hanley is quoted multiple times in the 2001 article, and he's also quoted several times in this 2014 article that was never published. And when I asked him to be on this podcast, he refused. He refused my invitation more than once to be on this podcast, stating each time that it would be inappropriate for him to comment on a case that he was no longer involved with. And that has never once made sense to me. Why is it inappropriate now, but it wasn't inappropriate when he spoke to two different record journal reporters in 2001 and 2014? Well, Jessica Fritz Aguirre has also been in touch with Terry Sutton, just as I have over the past several months as we've been doing this story on Doreen's case. And ultimately, she got to talking to Terry and received a piece of information from him on what exactly this thing was that Hanley said to him that he shouldn't have. Hey. Hey. Good. Yeah, I was just recording right now and I was getting to the part where um, I was talking about Terry Sutton and Hanley and um, I wanted you to kind of tell everyone how you started talking to Terry Sutton and what exactly he said to you. Well, after you spoke to him, I decided to take another stab at him. And I asked him um, the two questions I think that you had been trying to get answers to, which were... Number one, what's the material that the law enforcement police department has that it doesn't want broadcast? And two, who's your source? And he wouldn't tell me either. Um, he was very nervous about compromising his source, and he was very worried about compromising his relationship with the law enforcement department, which I understand. Um, you know, you're a journalist, that's sort of your bread and butter. But he also mentioned to me, um, because I was asking him to put it in terms of the, the evidence that we had uncovered, the evidence that was already known about the case. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Sutton asked me if I knew about the aunt's allegations. And I said yes. And he asked me if I knew specific things about the aunt's allegations. And I said yes. And he said, well, this pales in comparison to... Um, what Mark is alleged to have done to the aunt. Okay. And that was it. So then <clears throat> I ended up talking to another one of our sources on the case, and 
you know, not trying to, and this, this man has a relationship, you know, with Sutton, he knows a little bit about the case, and not asking him, not trying to trick him, but I said to him, you know, Terry Sutton has got some um, information um, that caused this, half the 2014 article dropped. I said, he's not sharing with that with us. That's really too bad. And this source said, oh, are you talking about the underwear photos? And I said, oh, yeah. He goes, well, I guess, okay, this is the way the Wallingford Police Department has put it. They're not underwear photos. They're material inappropriate for the relationship between a father and daughter, which to me sounds like underwear photos. Um, the source said that there are at least two of those and others that the source wouldn't talk about. Um, two pictures of Dorian in her underwear and other photos that he wouldn't speak about. And I said, was the source Hanley? And the source said, yes, the second source that we have. Mm-hmm. So then I followed up with Terry because I wanted him to know that if we were going to share this information, I wanted it to be extremely clear on this podcast that we did not get that information from Terry. We got it from someone else. And I said, someone else telling me underwear photo and it was Hanley that told you. And he said, that's absolutely right. And he kind of, you know, he sighed. He was resigned to us having figured it out. But that's the deal. So um, I think there's always been two questions, right? Do the photos exist? I mean, we know they exist. And does the Wallingford police have them in their possession? And I, I, I mean, I'm sure they do. I don't know why they don't want to talk about it, though. It's kind of public record that they do exist. Well, that's the thing that that that's the thing that I can't figure out with this too. It seems like there's so much bad communication between people over the past thirty years. It's like they want to keep the photos a secret, but this the the photos were already talked about in the two thousand one article, and it's like it's already it was already out there. So it just seems like there's a lot of investigators over the years who do not communicate with each other and don't know what's public and what's not. And um, that seems to be the, the, the one of the many, many problems that we've been dealing with here. Right. Well, that's what the anonymous source to me said. He said, I don't understand why the Wallingford police just won't admit that they have these pictures. <clears throat> Excuse me. It is public knowledge. What I don't understand about Hanley is that um, he left the Wallingford police in 1991. He, 10 years later, he was interviewed in an article by Jason Barry for the Record Journal, and and he's quoted several times in the 2001 article. Um, He's quoted in your article in 2014, but now when we've tried to get in touch with him, he won't talk to us at all. So, um, I was wondering... You're, 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 you're wondering why. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it probably, I think it's probably a specific fact that he told me something that he wasn't supposed to tell me, and when I mentioned it to the lieutenant at the time of Wallingford, he's like, that's, that's not supposed to be public information. So, he probably did contact Hanley, and Hanley was probably more on his guard there. And, one thing that we did find out, because it's published in... The 2001 article in the Record Journal, uh, it was also in Mark's um, arrest warrant for the gun trial. That is that, by his own admission, he had taken pictures of Doreen in her underwear. 
Um, Big job. Yeah. Yeah. So is that, was that something that you found out from Hanley? Yeah. So tell me, Chief Hanley, is that not something you want to share anymore? And is that the reason why when we asked you to be on this podcast, you have only turned us down and claimed that it would be inappropriate at this point for you to speak to us? Is it good enough for you to keep a picture of Doreen on your desk and regard this case as being your one case that sticks with you? What else do you know? And for that matter, what else do the past and present members of the Wallingford Police know that they will not share and will not act on? Back in March, Joe and Jess met with the Wallingford PD. They met with Chief William Wright, Lieutenant Anthony DeMeo, the head of the traffic division, and at that time, Sergeant Cifarelli, previously known as Detective Number 3. I was not there for that meeting, so I cannot speak on it, but in our last episode of this season, I would really like for Joe and Jess to speak more about that meeting and some of the things that were said within that meeting. And I know that Joe has a working theory on what happened the day that Doreen disappeared, and I hope that he decides to share that with us on the last episode. I do want to share more of Jessica's interview with Kate, Doreen's old classmate from when she briefly attended Westwood's Christian Academy. A lot of the things that Kate was able to corroborate for us in our episodes exploring the signs of sexual abuse were pretty alarming. And she did also, in fact, elaborate more regarding the stories that Doreen used to tell about being an underwear model and going on various photo shoots in New York City. But that underwear model thing is really, that that puts a real pit in my stomach. I'll I'll never forget it. I mean, because that was always the thing. Like, we were so shocked that Mm -hmm. she would let people take pictures of her in her underwear. Was she, like, proud of it? You said she was bragging. Yeah, because she said she had an agent. And she said, I've been, she's like, I'm being scouted for a big modeling agency. And they're coming to, to, like, I remember there was a weekend where she claimed to have gone to New York. Like, a, mm-hmm. like that weekend, and I don't know if she missed school on a Monday or what, but she came back at the end of the weekend, and she told us all about how it was down to her and three girls, yeah. and she was waiting to hear back. That 30 seconds of Kate remembering a specific story from Doreen, the first time that I listened to that, it was like someone pulled the rug out from under me, because now it's more than just one person with a camera taking pictures. Now she's possibly missing a few days from school at a time, and you've got potentially three other girls all thinking that they're up for this big modeling gig in New York. So how many other adults are in the room? Who's pretending to be the agent, the photographer, and so on? But he was taking photos of her in her underwear. Like so how did they find that out? Like, because he told people. So, um, so that corroborates my memories then mm-hmm. of, of what she used to tell us. But she told us she did it since she, I remember her saying since she was like six. Mm-hmm. You know, so like since she was a little, little girl, she'd been a model like a, 
Like Did you see mom. any of that underwear stuff in the newspaper accounts if you Googled anything? I don't think so. Okay. I don't think so. Because that was, um, I mean, we, it was funny when you talk about pulling stuff from your mind because when we first met the mom and the aunt, they are like, oh, he's taking pictures of her in her underwear. And I thought, yeah, right. Like, what? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we did some more digging. A lot of these articles are paper only, like they're not digitized. And we went digging and, you know, sure as anything, he's telling, he told private investigator, Doreen's mom, and the cops that he was taking photos of her. And I wonder if it's because, because I remember telling people that she told us she was an underwear mom. Yeah. So maybe they questioned him and he admitted to it. I don't know. Um, well, he told other people too. And there's a whole backstory on how he was. Uh, there's again, I need to boil it down as much as possible because remember, people's memories are just like yours, right? Yeah. His memories are really fuzzy. But um, it's a whole big thing about how he was maybe telling her that there was no film in the camera, but she, he did have. I mean, posing is a word. Um, that's oh yeah, I mean, she would. Yes, I remember her being very graphic about photo shoots. She'd call them. What do you mean graphic? Well, like positions they put her in. You know what I mean? We were like, you. we, we were just so shocked yeah. that she would do this. But she was like, this is what models do, you know? Like, that was like, the kind of thing she would say. Was it, like, pornographic? Yeah. Or was it, yeah. Well, some of them, no. Some of them, she would say that she would just, like, stand there, you know, and smile. You know, and, run and other times, like, posing with, like, her legs open and things like that. But but with her underwear on. Yeah. Like, she, she never told us she did naked shoots. So according to Kate, Doreen would at times go into graphic detail about the poses they, whoever they were, would put her in, sometimes just standing and smiling, but other times with her legs open. And it was towards the end of that conversation that Jessica had with Kate who I want to remind everyone is not a kid anymore, is an adult woman looking back on this with a firsthand perspective. She shared her belief on what happened to Doreen. Because she had also, um, I guess she had run away once or twice That sounds familiar. Yeah, I was going to say, I remember her telling stories about being in fights and running away. Being in fights with either parent? Go ahead, I'm sorry. Well, was it either parent? I don't recall. It might have been either parent, might have been both parents, I don't know. But I remember her talking about running away because when she disappeared, that's what we all thought. She ran away again. That was exactly what we thought. And when she didn't show up, then we started to say, well, maybe she didn't run away. Mm -hmm. Because we had known that she had run away before. Maybe because she bragged about it, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. Or if it was... If, if she ran away while we knew her, I don't I don't recall that. Well, it struck me it too, might have been a bragging thing about the past. In the, the 80s, do you remember that whole, like, stranger danger? Yeah. Runaways were sort of like, you know, bad cool. girls. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think that kind of fit the bill for her. Like, they could say she ran away. And, it, you know, she's, just so you know, she's never been seen ever again. I suspect it. I mean. Never. Um, I always thought after the fact, like, once it was clear she didn't run away, I always thought she was sold into child slavery. Okay. That's what I always believed, because I would think back to the stories of her telling us she was an underwear model. Yeah. And then later finding out that she didn't have an agent, and that wasn't true. Mm -hmm. Then I was like, well, it's obvious that someone put her into some kind of sexual child something or other. There's, um, like I said, I know, so the father 
there's other indications too that she was being abused because she was really very sexualized. Extremely. That's why she talked about boys all the time. I mean, to the point where that's why we always thought she was making it up being a model because yeah. we were like, oh, she's bragging. She's talking about boys again. And she always dressed so grown up. And I don't remember if she said she had done it with a boy at that time, but I remember she used to be very graphic about, you know. So, yeah. Yeah. And so we were all, none of us knew for sure if she was just full of garbage, if she was telling us stories. Or yeah. if it, but she was always very, like, braggy about that kind of thing. But let's put a pin in that for one second. We were first told about Mark taking pictures of Doreen in her underwear when we met with Donna and the rest of the family back on January 9th of this year. When Jess spoke over the phone to Carol to talk about her abuse at the hands of Mark, the subject came up again. I want to talk about the pictures. What, what, do you know anything about the underwear photos? Yeah. How did you find out about those? Doreen said something. She was mad. He made me do, he made me pose her. He made me take pictures of my underwear because of the bathing suit. She wanted to wear a bathing suit. Okay. We had a pool. Donna had a pool. We were going swimming. But, you know, she's not going to wear these shorts in a pool. She looked ridiculous. Is that what he wanted her to wear? Yeah. Okay. And not swim. And she liked to swim. That explanation of the photos has never wavered. I remember speaking with Carol that first night that we met with the family, and that's exactly how she described it to me. Mark took pictures of Doreen in her underwear, and Doreen said it was because she wanted to wear a bathing suit, so as some sort of punishment or as some means to gaslight her. That's why he made her take these pictures. So we've got at least two different explanations that Doreen is giving to different people in her life. And to me, that goes back to Jessica's conversation with Karen Calcaterra, licensed clinical social worker, that maybe Doreen knew that something was wrong, at least enough to come up with a different explanation for the photos that she gave to her mother and aunts versus the bragging about it that she did with her classmates, as if she knew that she could go to her classmates for validation, but that it would be bad if her mother and aunts knew about it. Jessica and Karen spoke about this exact thing. There's an indication from her friend, her seventh grade classmate. Doreen told her and other classmates that she was going into New York on the weekends for modeling shoots and that she was modeling in her underwear, that she'd been doing it since she was six and that she had an agent. Okay. When I told the cops that, one of the police officers said to me, well, seventh grade kids make up shit all the time. But why? Why would you make that story up to your friends? My thought, and let's just remember, too, there's underwear photos. Right. So it doesn't sound like anything was made up. If it was, it was, um, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Like aggrandized a little bit. But you would, I would think you would tell your friend that to make you feel better about yourself and what you're doing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So if that kid, that child was on my 
couch in my office and I was told or she said that that kind of a story I would want to know why like what why would you pick that thing to okay. make yourself feel better and and in my mind it would be a way to alleviate the guilt of doing this thing by telling somebody about it and getting it off your chest but in a way that didn't get anybody in trouble or call attention to everything that was going on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, and it makes it, I think, too more glamorous. Absolutely. So it addresses the shame okay. that, she, that that person would feel if, if that was happening to them. So the issue now is, which is it? Were the stories of being an underwear model just tall tales from a child who was feeling ashamed and wanted to squash that shame? Or was she being brought into the city on weekends for these photo shoots with possibly other girls? And did she really think that she had been a model since she was six years old? Because the child in that situation believes that it's their fault. Children are egocentric, so they believe that everything's connected to them somehow up until a certain age. and. She was there, she was participating, so she must be doing something wrong. She doesn't really, wouldn't really understand why, mm -hmm. but there's the guilt and the shame. Right. So okay. we defend ourselves from guilt and shame when we feel it. We come up with explanations for things to make ourselves feel less. What about the possibility, and this is obviously hypothetical because we weren't there, but um, there's been some conjecture that he was selling underwear photos to other men and that he might have been allowing other men access to her whether it was to take photos or whether it was to sexually abuse her or I mean there are a lot of different possibilities but could that agent be a specific person I mean could there have been trips to New York or uh, elsewhere I, I, anything's possible I mean it happens right it's pretty horrendous to think about or believe, you know, that it's real, but it happens. Yeah. So, I mean, anything's possible. It's, it seems like, it seems like, um, not a thing, a healthy, um, mentally stable, emotionally stable 12 year old girl would say to her friends. There is one more subject that I want to bring up in this episode that I think is very fitting and very important to mention at the end of talking about this subject matter. Something that we've heard all throughout this season since that first night that we met with the family in January was that Mark was obsessed with Doreen, that Doreen was his idol, as her grandmother Jane described it. So that brings us to something that we talked about when we went to Donna's house for Donna's 60th birthday. Somebody, I, I, don't, I don't think it was Sharon, it was a, another newspaper lady. Yep. The lady that he went out with right directly after Doreen was missing looked exactly like Doreen. Ew. That's what they said. And Who he, said? And he was a sick kind of love with her. That's what I remember somebody saying that. So between Sharon, so after Doreen was missing, he's still with Sharon, kind of, right? Mm -hmm. 
They were still married in 91 at the, at the trial. Yeah, at the trial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks shortly after that. The reporter told you this? At that time, Sharon told us that he told her... um, Maybe not. Maybe not he told her. She told somebody that Mark said he was tired of living a lie. and And he met the religion. The Christian religion. Tired of living a lie. Tired of living a lie. And that's why they divorced. So, wait. So... You did a lot of pronouns. So who told you that? Um, those are the things I'm not positive about. Okay. Well, obviously Sharon, Sharon must have told somebody because he told her he was tired of living a life. Who? Mark told, told Sharon that. Us, I'm not sure. And then somebody told you that Mark told Sharon that he was tired of living a lie. It's either somebody told us or Sharon told us. I can't remember. Now, with these birthday clips, again, there's a lot going on. It's a packed house. But that was Doreen's Aunt Debbie that you heard on there. The first thing she said was that after Doreen went missing, Mark began dating a woman who looked just like Doreen. Well, that woman is the woman that he moved in with after he left Sharon, Paul, and Sarah, Roseanne Poloni. If you are a member of the Followers of Faded Out group on Facebook, you probably saw this week that Jessica posted a picture, a screenshot taken from a Google search. And it's a side-by-side of Roseanne Poloni's picture in her obituary and an age-enhanced photo of Doreen created by the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. The two are pretty much identical. So if you haven't seen it, everyone, please, I encourage you to go on to Google and type in Roseanne Poloni, Connecticut, and look at your image results. It is wildly astounding. And the second thing that Debbie talked about in that clip, other than Roseanne Poloni looking like Doreen, was that when Mark left Sharon, he said to her, that he was tired of living a lie. And that was in reference to the strictly religious lifestyle that he had been living by for a number of years at that point. And just one additional note that I want to make regarding Roseanne Poloni, her looking like Doreen brings me back to something that Doreen's grandmother, Jane, said to Jessica. You know, I, I, was work, I worked with these guy, type of patients that were obsessed. And I know what they do. Where, so what kind of patients? What do you mean? Mentally ill. Okay. Yeah, I know. That's what they do. They, they, they constantly repeat themselves, and they, they go back to doing the same ritual. You know, like they'll drink water 50 times a day. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And he's, a type, he's very ritualistic. He's the type of person to do that. What kind of other ritualistic things would he do? Do you have, like, examples? Yep. And it had to be a certain way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 
And that's what he did. He, when he had a trailer, when he lived in a trailer, he had all these beautiful plants. He, I think he, he admired his mother. Mm -hmm. and, and she was a plant person. And he would like plants. And he would get plants, and he'd put them under this beautiful light, this light, and he'd have them growing beautifully. But he was obsessed with it. You yeah. know, he'd have like 30 plants in a little area. You know, it's like, like stuff that wasn't even important in life. You know, I read somewhere, I, you're, you're making me think of something. I saw something about him and his mother where he talked about how his mother would, would swim laps or something like that. And she, uh, she and she was in good shape. And she had all sorts of plants she around. Shape. And then, you know, she probably had, I think she died of cancer or something like that. I'm not sure what she died of. Yeah, it was something like that, I think. Yeah. Um, she, she was very, she, he was very much like her. Jane talked about Mark being obsessive and being ritualistic. And in my opinion, and this is my opinion, it makes me think that moving in with someone who resembled Doreen was in a way like paying homage to her. Um, do you want to share with everyone um, as much as you can at this point um, what's happening with the FOIA hearing and what's kind of what kind of the plan is moving forward? Yeah, so we are... Um the FOIA hearing is in August. I tried to get it um, moved because I will be on vacation, but that was met with a resounding no, so I will be cutting vacation short um, to go to that. Um, we did draw a hearing officer who, her name is Kathleen Ross. She's actually um, issued a lot of the decisions on the Newtown um, records when citizens or newspapers or other versus of the media would ask for records on the Indy Hook shootings and murders. Um, she was a hearing officer on a lot of those. So I've just been trying to, you know, watch her hearings, read her opinions, um, and sort of get a handle on the, um, you know, what information we have to bring to the hearing in August. Um, I think it's going to be more of a sense, I have more of a sense that the Wallingford Police Department will be the ones answering more questions because, um, you know, they're the ones putting themselves on the defensive by refusing to give up the uh, the records. They will have to prove that, you know, they're um, legitimately relying on that exclusion. But, you know, as far as um, strategy, I think I'm going to keep it close to the vest just because, you know, I kind of want to do it when we get there and that, you know, I know they listen, um, and I'm not trying to play hide the ball with them. Again, I cooperate with them if they wanted me to, but they don't want me to, so. Right. That's fine. Um, and, you know, I think worst case scenario, and I don't want to amp people up for that, but worst case scenario, we don't get the information, but, you know, these hearings are public. They'll be broadcast on, on you know, Connecticut Public Broadcasting and available on um, online. And, People interested in Doreen will be able to see, you know, what the Wallingford Police Department's stance is on, um, you know, giving us her records. They did point out to me, and, and I think this is a fair defense, that if they give everything to us, then they're also going to have to give um, information to any potential suspects. 
you know, basically, and, and, and I don't want that to happen either, where it would be right. like, okay, a suspect can just walk in and, and review the case and see what they have, but I guess my major question is how actively have you been investigating this? Because, Sarah, when you and I started calling last fall and winter, um, it was, I think it was pretty clear to us that not a lot, if anything, was being done. And as I wrap up this episode, I want to say that we may not know how many of these underwear photos were taken in total of Doreen or what other content is in these photos, what these photos look like, but we have it under good authority that there are photos sitting in the evidence room at the Wallingford Police Department. Jessica even said that directly to Lieutenant Anthony DeMeo that day that she and I met with him in February. His response was to tense up in his chair noticeably and repeatedly kick the inside of his desk hard enough for me to feel it on the other side. We have one episode left of this season, so if you're hearing this episode on the day that it drops, Sunday, July 28th, or at any point during the week, I want to invite you to join us on our official Facebook page this Saturday, August 3rd, 2019, at 3 p.m. our time, Eastern Standard Time. We will be holding a live season two finale, just as we did with the first season. We will also be welcoming some listeners into our studio audience. So for anyone who is local to us, please get in touch with us on Facebook. Look for information regarding that on our Facebook page. We will be putting out more info about that. And I know we have listeners on all different parts of the globe, which means everything to us. And I hope that you are able to join us online. I will have more people with me that day. Joe will be there. Jessica will be there. You'll be able to talk with us, throw us any questions, comments, concerns, all in real time. And I want you to know that this is far from over because Jessica Fritz Aguirre will be starting her own podcast very soon. And the FOIA hearing, as we talked about, is coming up in August. And though this season of Faded Out is over, we will always continue to release update episodes regarding Doreen's case, and we will stay on this case. The finale live stream will also be up in audio form the following day, Sunday, August 4th, wherever you get your podcasts. This has been Season 2, Episode 25 of Faded Out. I'm Sarah Dimio. See you next time.